Welcome to the Seventh Art Podcast on Cinema. We're also a video magazine on cinema, which you can see at www.theseventhart.org. I'm Brian Robertson, one of three producers on the show, and joining me is Christopher Heron, uh, host and producer of the show as well. The interview you're about to hear is with legendary filmmaker Frederick Wiseman. Frederick Wiseman was in town for uh, his epic four-hour-long documentary at Berkeley. At Berkeley is one of the the best films I saw last year, and I think a lot now that it's getting a wide release uh, or wider release, it's playing in New York. Uh, it's it's really being championed by critics and with good reason. This interview is exclusively about the film. We had a, a significant amount of time with Frederick, but we also knew that it was we couldn't really you know delve into his gigantic filmography, so we used it to go in depth on this very complex film about education in the States, higher education, its relationship to the widening gap between the upper class and the lower class and what that means for the middle class in the United States. And uh, Frederick Wiseman was uh, really candid. Uh, He's a really funny guy and some of that translates in this interview where I definitely am pushing him to talk about things that he maybe doesn't always talk about. And he gives really great answers. And uh, we're really lucky to have the time uh, with him that we did, which we owe to uh, our friend Rye Levy, uh, who is his publicist and makes a cameo, bringing Frederick a much-needed smoothie after a long day of press. Uh, it's a fun interview, and I hope you enjoy it. Beginning. Do you want me to look at you or look at the camera? Whatever strikes no, you. No, whatever you like. I mean, we, we just try to make it like a conversation. Yeah, well, that's so, better. Yeah, of course, yeah. that's better yeah. way. I just wanted to check. <laughs> yeah. This is the live stream here. Yeah, that's the live stream, so that's what people will be watching on the internet. Uh huh. Okay. So, why Berkeley, I guess, is the question. How did, the, how did you get attracted to the subject? Well, I've been doing a series, as you know, on institutions. Mm, I yes. hadn't done a, a university. I wanted to do a university and I wanted to do a public university. Berkeley is the greatest public university in the world. So I simply wrote a letter to the chancellor, whom I had never met, asking whether he would consider the idea. And he wrote me back right away and said, come out and talk to me. I had lunch with him and the provost. And after lunch, they said, okay. Much, you- much to my surprise. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but I was very pleased that they said, okay. I'm surprised too. What do you think uh, made them so eager to agree? Well, I think Berkeley prides itself on being transparent mm. to begin with. And I think also they felt that the financial crisis that they were in was not properly understood. And I thought, uh, and they, they were working, they're people of extreme intelligence and goodwill. And they were working uh, successfully very hard to maintain the high standards of the university, both in terms of the students and the faculty. Mm. And I think they thought a movie might help. Mm. But, you know, obviously they were taking a chance uh, because I had complete control over the movie. But I, uh, but I, you know, I appreciated the fact that they were willing to take a chance with me and mm. they trusted me. And were they familiar with your work? Yeah, they'd yeah. seen some of them. I mean, they hadn't seen all the movies, but they'd seen yeah. a few of them. I mean, they, you know, they'd seen Titty Cut Follies, for example, and, uh, and that was not an obstacle to their giving me permission. Mm. 
That's a good sign. Yeah. Did you did you know when you were approaching the subject that the middle class and the economic crisis would be so prevalent? No. Yeah. No, I didn't. I mean, I, I, I all that I really knew in advance was that I thought a university might make a good subject. Mm. Uh, and uh, as I talked to them when, the, when that first visit, I, I learned more about the economic crisis. But uh, basically, the idea was to hang out at a university and, and, and uh, collect material and figure it out in the editing. I mean, yeah. the, the process that I had in mind was the same one that I had have followed in the other movies. Mm. One thing that I immediately jumped to with it being a university is what classes are you going to be in? How are they going to be ordered in the film? Like the, the subjects that are being discussed in the actual classrooms. And it seems like a lot of them are kind of pedagogical. Like they're talking about education or they're talking about the institution. There's like some science, but it's... it's well, they're not pedagogical. Uh, I don't know what you mean exactly because uh, in each... Well, they're, they're actual classes. So yeah, one yeah. class they're talking about Thoreau. Another class, uh, they're talking about John Donne. Mm. Another class, they're talking about astrophysics. And uh, another class, they're talking about philosophy of time. Uh, so... There was one where they were talking about leadership positions. Oh, and now they're yeah. talking about leadership. Yeah, well, obviously, when I come to structure the film, when I come to select the sequences I want to use, there has to be a reason why I want to use them. Mm. I had 250 hours of material, so, uh, and the film was only a mere four hours, so I used one sixtieth of the material. Hmm. What drew you to the Thoreau, particularly? Hmm? The Thoreau, the discussion of Thoreau? Well, you know, I like to make the film, but I don't like to explain it. Oh, I see. <laughs> it, it was interesting, as someone who studied English, the, the Thoreau and the, the John Donne, especially seeing the, the reactions of people learning about John Donne at, at a young... Do you, what year were they in at that point? Would they have been I don't know. first or second yet? Well, I don't know. I think they could have been... My guess is that they were all second to fourth year, because I... I'm, but I don't, the answer is I don't know. Yeah. It's an interesting thing to consider how much of the audience would have gone to a university that's comparable and how much of that is taking them back to those experiences where either they were looking around and seeing people kind of nodding off or they were nodding off and then you see the people that are really invested right. in it. Well, that's always the case. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it brings up an interesting point, which is that when you're shooting in a classroom, the spectator, what they're seeing, kind of puts them in a position where they're being taught as well, like they're getting some of the, the well, lecture. Well, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. sure. Uh, it, it's an interesting wrinkle, like you, you always do things like that where you have, you know, someone talking at the camera and you're learning about them a bit, but you actually feel like you're in the seat, like next to that other student with this one. In a way that I, I, I don't, I'm not sure in high school I felt the same way, but maybe it's something about the university that, that the dialogue and the lecture are so similar. That was an intriguing thing for me. I was wondering if you had considered like the the seat and like the the place of the spectator when you're in the classroom shooting. Well, I mean, you 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 basically have to. Yeah. Because that's the only way you can shoot it. Uh, I mean, because you want you want the students you want to see the students' response uh, to the professor. Uh, so you have to shoot it from the side of the front and, and you, because you want to see their faces, you want to see the back of their head, mm. and you want to cut it together so that 
the you see the students reacting or appearing to react to what the professor is talking mm. about at that particular moment, even though some cutaways are shot either before or after mm. the particular uh, 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 words of the, of the teacher. Mm. And in this film in particular, you have a lot of kind of roundtable discussions, literally sometimes roundtable and yeah. other times more informal. What, is the, what are the challenges in, in just physically shooting that, being able to play off who's in the frame and not talking, who is? Well, you have to, I mean, you have to make up your mind extremely quickly yeah. uh, in those situations, how you're going to shoot it. Uh, and uh, you have to, you want to be in a position where, or at least you want to be in a primary position where you're going to be able to get the teacher on the assumption that the teacher is going to be leading the, the talk. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in the Thoreau seminar, you, uh, you start off with the camera at the side or at the back, uh, which gives you both a wide shot and a good uh, position to get the teacher. But since the students are facing the teacher, uh, it's not a terribly good position mm. uh, for the students because you get either profiles or the back of their heads. So that you, you, you want to start off maybe with a wide shot, uh, but then you change position. Mm. You want to get, you see, you sometimes change position so you, you get a profile or you get the student at full, full face looking mm. at the camera, looking mm. not in the camera, but <laughs> appearing to look at the teacher and you're shooting them looking at the teacher. Mm. And did you just have the one camera in the informal kind of uh, conversations? Only one camera. So one, the whole film was shot with one camera. Yeah, and it's, a, it, it's an achievement that like, those scenes feel so, like you don't feel the editing, you feel like you're actually Well, in that's it. good. Yeah. That's good, but because they're all highly edited. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, but you do get a sense that you're witnessing an actual conversation without any pieces missing necessarily. You, you're getting the lively debate. And, and one thing I really appreciated was how you can maybe capture one person talking and the person sitting next to them, how they, how they just like physically behave when someone's talking beside them in these, these open discourses. Was that something that you knew Berkeley was like a good institution for these? Well, kind of I mean, don't, I don't think of it in terms of Berkeley being a good institution for it. It's something you want to look for in that yeah. kind of situation. You know, and I've had experience working in classrooms before, mm. both in high school and in high school too. Yeah. And some teaching situations in the other films, um, but you, I mean, those, those small classes or small meetings, like the cabinet meetings of the chancellor, they're hard to shoot because when there are a bunch of people around the table, you don't know, always know who's going to talk next, and sometimes you're out of position, mm. uh, and, and and you have to move because I always try to follow whoever is speaking and pick mm -hmm. up the cutaways when the talk is less interesting. Uh, but at the same time, you, you, have, you need a certain number of wide shots where you see the speaker. So, uh, and you have to move extremely quickly and, and you know, you, each time you take, every time you change the camera position, you take mm -hmm. a risk. And, and were you kind of anticipating some of the banality that would happen in the actual bureaucratic meetings? Well, I mean, banality happens in any meeting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but again, I mean, it's a question of, for instance, those, the chancellor's meetings went on for an hour and a half, the cabinet meetings went on for an hour and a half, so you had to be prepared to shoot for an hour and a half. Mm. 
in those situations, I like to cover the whole meeting so that I have the choice in the editing room since I have no idea who's going to speak next or what the subject is going to be. Mm. Um, if you don't shoot the whole meeting, you're, you may miss something that ultimately turns out to be very good. And I, at, when the meeting takes place, I have no idea in advance what they're going to say. And even after the meeting, I have no idea what part of it I'm going to use mm. because it depends on what else I'm going to use in the film and how the themes fit together. Mm. Apart from the themes, it also seems like you want to have that dynamic of kind of getting the, the, the banality in so like the viewer is aware that that's what's well, like. Well, I mean, you make, yeah, I'm not, I mean, it's not that I'm not interested in banality, but I mean, it's, it's hard to respond to that without knowing what specifically. You're referring I feel to like it does a great job of capturing every academic meeting I've had to be in, which is like there are parts where everyone's kind of just like, this is stretching on a bit, but then there's like that dynamic moment where it switches. So it, you're editing it, but I think what's great is that you're able to get a little piece of that to kind of convey the reality of what it's like to be there. Yeah, you, you, you try to convey what it's like to be there, but on the other hand, my obligation is to be fair to the people. Yeah. and. Uh, at the same time, I have to cut the sequence to make it work as a sequence. It, you, you have to create the illusion that it took place the way you're seeing it, mm. even though it didn't. So that, the, for example, those cabinet meetings, their actual duration might have been 90 minutes. You might see seven minutes of it in the film, but I have to edit it so that it appears as if it took place the way you're seeing it, even though it didn't. Yeah. It's great, because you could, I'm sure, just choose only the relevant, interesting moments. And it's nice to have... Well, no, but every, you know, different people would have different ideas yeah. as to what constitutes the relevant, interesting yeah. moments. <laughs> That's a great point. Um, similarly, w how, how did you cover so much ground for the, uh, the protest? Like, it seems like you're in a... a Run. <laughs> so you're running back to the, the chancellor's office, to the, the yeah. library, yeah? Right. Yeah, initially running ahead of the marches, yeah. and then going back and forth between the chancellor's office and uh, and, and the library. Fortunately, the library is only about you know, hundred yards, mm. hundred fifty oh, okay. yards away. But still, I mean, it was a question of deciding when to go. Mm. Uh, so uh, I was lucky, and that I, you know, by chance made the right decision. So I was in the chancellor's office, and in the uh, library at times it worked out well for the film, mm. I thought. Did you have any anticipation that a, a place like Berkeley you were going to maybe get a protest at some point? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, yeah. I mean, a place like Berkeley, you, you don't, you know, it's, it's quite normal to anticipate you get a protest. I didn't know what the nature of the protest would be. Mm. Uh, I, I, I liked the, um, I felt like there was a theme of, of generations in, in, the, in the film, talking about previous generations at Berkeley, mm -hmm. people talking about the concept of millennials, I think that comes up in a few of the discussions, that, that buzzword now. Mm -hmm. and, and also, especially the use of our town, which is something that is so rooted in a specific time, but keeps coming and talks about, you know, a time capsule. Mm -hmm. it, it, is this a film that you were, you had an idea that that would happen, mm -hmm. that there would be this consideration, or were you even considering No, it? I mean, the, the film really is a response to the experience of shooting the film. Mm. And, uh, and studying the material. Yeah. I mean, I, I had no idea in advance, for example, there was going to be a rehearsal of a production of Our Town. Mm. I mean, I basically stumbled across it. Uh, but, then, but that's true of almost all the sequences. Yeah. You, you, you come across them, and then it's a question of 
identifying them to yourself and figuring out a way of using them. And as a fan of your work, a viewer that's aware of your work especially, there's another interesting kind of rhythm which is how it rhymes back to high school or high school two, especially discussing the, the Vietnam War. And I, I found that intriguing that you would have, I would not have expected the veterans uh, portion to be a part of the university. And of course it draws to mind the end of, of high school and the protests that existed in Vietnam versus now. It, there's a kind of, there, it, it documents history, but then it's also history within your own films. Right, well, yeah, I mean, that's also an example of the fact that the films are more novelistic in their structure than they are journalistic. Yeah. So when you're cutting, do you, you have ideas of like chapters within the... Well, I don't, I was referring so much to chapters as, as the absence of didacticism mm. and, and to uh, the effort to build a, a dramatic narrative structure mm. out of uh, randomly accumulated unstaged events. Mm. So does that mean that we, there's also the uh, possibility of charting your own interests through these, like the recurrences throughout your filmography? Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I mean, it sort of amuses me to have echoes of the previous films. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that. But it, it's also thematic, in my view, at least thematically relevant. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And um, I was also curious about your perspective on the, the science that you were covering, because I felt like that those scenes in particular were powerful, all of the classrooms where they were dealing with scientific, and I don't even have a personal interest in science, but it seems like those were the classes that seemed to be at once dealing with the present and the future in a way that maybe the English ones were more invested in the past. Was that something that you picked well, up? Well, yeah, I mean, because, I mean, it's also the nature of the subject matter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, because, um, and, and uh, you know, I deliberately uh, left in the, the uh, for example, this discussion of uh, dark holes, even though it's a bit difficult to understand. <laughs> But I mean, most people don't understand it. I mm. mean, uh, other than the fact that you're an astrophysicist. Uh, but but the fact is, I mean, the, the guy that led that seminar won the Nobel Prize the following year. Oh wow! For his work on dark holes, and and you know, and the, the science, the physics department is very famous at Berkeley. So it would have been a um, uh, it, it, it was important for the film to suggest that they had people of that caliber, mm. uh, and in addition, it's, it served other thematic purposes. Is it fair to say that that was a more of an advanced class in science versus the one, I think, this, the penultimate sequence where they're talking about um, uh, what's going to happen in the future? The space trip. Yeah. yeah. That, that seems like that's more of like an introductory class where, or is that, am I mistaken? Oh yes, that? it yeah. was a more introductory. Yeah. I mean, it was a class in astronomy. Yeah. Uh, and it was a more uh, general, uh, more introductory class, whereas the class where uh, you talked about dark holes was uh, for graduate students. Mm. And there's an, an interesting pairing with the more practical, or not more practical, but the, the, the disability sciences, the physics in, in the use there, which seems like it's getting more and more difficult, more and more abstract. And it culminates with someone's like, well, we don't really know like what's going to be happening. And I thought that that was interesting, like that kind of admission from a, a professor, like almost a jokey admission, that like, oh, we don't, I don't know what's going to be happening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and it's, well, it's an honest answer. Yeah, yeah, especially for young students that are trusting you as an instructor <laughs> to like know the answers mm. to what's happening. Uh, it struck me as like a, 
a capsule of, of what can happen in a school like Berkeley, where there, it seems like there's a little bit more informal qualities, or at least um, you can make a joke about something like that without feeling like, is that, is that a reflection of the public versus the... the well, I mean, I, I think I, it's hard to jump to that kind of yeah. generalization. I don't, I mean, I, I, I avoid that <laughs> kind of generalization. So, but then to make it more broader then, what, what about the public uh, institution uh, drew, uh, drew you in here? Just to state the obvious, in a democratic society, mm. it's very important that education be available uh, to people from all different economic classes. Mm -hmm. And Berkeley is not only a great American university, but it's a great worldwide university. And the fact that it's public, the fact that it, uh, you know, more than a third of its students are on scholarship of one form or another, the fact that, that it encourages uh, the applications from uh, lower income students and find ways of admitting them and supporting them once they're admitted is, 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 is very important. I mean, not simply ideologically, but important for the country, uh, because the country needs highly tr qualified people, mm. uh, not only for public institutions, but for all, walk, you know, all, all different kinds of work. Uh, and, and Berkeley has, has been always committed to not only a diverse student population, uh, but to a diverse student population who are held to the highest standards of academic excellence mm. by uh, a superb faculty. Mm. Were you aware of the degree uh, to which Berkeley supports the the before lower I started? No, okay. no. I mean, I, in a vague kind of yeah. way, but not not in the way that I became uh, subsequently aware. Mm. I was personally surprised by that, and I th I think that it's it's really interesting the way in which you can have the activists and the kind of administrators. You can show them both aiming for the same thing, but neither of them really knowing that the other is doing it in the same way, well, especially the students. It seems like they're unaware of the extent with which the administrators are yeah. making yeah. I mean, attempt. It, it, Yeah, the students uh, were, it seemed to me too, that they were unaware of the, of the, of the, uh, of the dedication uh, and, and uh, of, the, of the administration to preserving scholarships and preserving the university uh, and the reputation mm. and the standards of the university and to, for the students to um, make one of their principal demands free tuition at a point when uh, the university is struggling uh, to stay economically viable mm. is a bit unrealistic. Mm. And it seems like it's also kind of rooted in a middle class perspective that, that you chart and this says it's kind of that's the sensitive area. Like that's what's losing the kind of support or the stability it once had is not those in lower income bracket or a higher income bracket, but the middle. And and I feel that that may be the thing that everyone's taking away from this film in, in a way critically already. And I'm curious how many people that uh, participate in something like Occupy or or this uh, the protests in this uh, film are self-aware that that's their their place where they're coming from and that's what's being um, being threatened and, and when you were editing this did that become the theme that you well, recognized? Began, I mean, yeah I mean that certainly it's not the theme but yeah. it's certainly one of the themes and it's interesting that that I, I maybe read like four or five inter, uh, reviews of this and that's the thing that everyone seems to be picking really? it I, I, well, it's interesting I, I haven't I only read one or two reviews yeah 
I, I do appreciate how it can facilitate all of these different theses, I guess you could say. But to find that people are gravitating towards one, is that something that you're accustomed to at this point? Like no. One, no, one no. I mean, I, you know, I, I, the answer is I, I, uh, I, the answer is I don't know. Mm. I, I, I can't respond to that. Mm. Uh, how did you, when you're editing it, approach the, the subject of race as it came up? Because I'm curious. Well, I mean, I, 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 I mean, at the risk of your feeling that I'm facetious, I uh, did it the way you see it in the film. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, what I, I meant was that um, it seems like that's something that cues something larger beyond the institution, kind of like the middle class question, that it's like gesturing towards... A, well, well, a, a lot, lot of things that happen at Berkeley suggest things that happen outside of Berkeley. Mm, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, there's the whole, you know, micro-macro thing. Uh, the kind of racism that those students were discussing is not unique to Berkeley, mm. uh, because they're, they're discussing uh, uh, not major slights, but, uh, I mean, I hate to use the word major and minor because uh, it may be unfair, because if you hurt someone's feelings, you hurt their feelings. Yeah. But, but they're not life-threatening uh, 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 things, but they're things that they're, they're kind of what they call mini-racism, uh, which affect the quality of experience, everyday experience. Hmm. So, I mean, when they discuss, for example, the, the, the difficulty of black students to participate in, in study groups with white students, I mean, I mean they're, they're there can be racist explanations of that, or there can be non-racist explanations of yeah. that. But it's something that black students are extremely, with reason, sensitive to, mm. because they feel excluded. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it comes from an infrastructure that is, is, is greater, but we're seeing an example of it here. Well, I mean, I don't know what you mean by infrastructure, uh, because it doesn't necessarily come from the university, if that, which is the infrastructure in which is the institution in which they're living and, and are uh, participating as students. But I think race, I don't think it's necessarily institutionalized racism, it's, it's more generalized racism mm. that exists. I mean, people have, uh, it's a reflection of attitudes toward the capacity of black students. Mm. And, and what you're seeing in the sequence is the consequence of that attitude in a specific situation. Mm, yeah. So the, the general, general being the, the macro at that point and the institution, the micro, we're seeing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, racism hasn't disappeared. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. It's a brilliant generalization. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I appreciated the, the, the cueing of the, the images of construction, but they're not really, as you say, didactically explained. So what, do, what is the reality of the construction that's going on? Is that just building new buildings? Is it is it indicative of money that's being spent on... We, there's a lot of talk about money being spent for tuition, but not necessarily the actual physical reality of needing to create new buildings or, or, or update well, them. Well, I, mean, I mean, it serves a variety of purposes, mm. uh, those sequences. I mean, it's partially what you say and partially uh, you know, there's always construction going on in universities, so it's a question of what's being constructed. It's also a question of who's doing the work. Mm. Oh, you mean like who's being contracted to do it? Or who well, who are the people who are the workers? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. 
and 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 because it, those exterior shots that you use to kind of separate each. Well, I mean, that, that, that's, I mean, yeah, but from, from the structure of the film point of view, those kind of sequences serve a variety of purposes. Yeah. They serve the purpose of transitions yeah. to go from one place to another on the campus, to provide quiet moments between dramatic sequences or uh, action moments after uh, long talk sequences, mm. but they also uh, tell you something about the kinds of buildings that are being constructed and, and uh, the people who are building them. Hmm. And you also get a, maybe a look at the student life outside of the classroom in those, and I, which I appreciate. Yeah. It seems like the exterior shots are what Well, you I mean, that's an, yeah, there are other kind of series of cutaways. Yeah. I mean, uh, because, uh, it, it, again, it, like everything else in the film, whether it succeeds or not, it's not for me to say, yeah. but there are always multiple purposes. Mm -hmm. And the, the motif of dancing was especially, I think, enjoyable. Um, was that like, uh, was that like a, would that be a student group that was? I mean, people uh, dancing on the, uh, in the square yeah. there, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, most of them are students, yeah. Yeah. It, it, does, it does serve to recalibrate you in a way as a viewer, I find. But it's also, I, I'm aware that I don't know physically, like I don't know the space from, from these shots. So it's, it's a good balance of, of acclimatizing you to the space, but then also making you realize, I don't know what building this is or if it has anything to do with another building. It, it does a great job of making you feel a part of the community while knowing you. Well, almost every, not quite every shot, every sequence, but almost, I would say nine, the only, I'm trying to think when I went off campus, the only, actually the only sequence that's genuinely off campus is the one with the paraplegic learning to walk with the oh. structural apparatus. And that involved a professor and some graduate students, but the building was off campus because it was a, uh, uh, the graduate students were working there and working on their thesis, but it was a company that was formed to develop the research ideas mm. of the man who's the professor in the scene, whom you see in the scene. But it's, I think that's the only time in the movie that I left the camp. Well, there's, there are a couple of shot, nighttime shots of police cars driving around Berkeley, and then there's the short sequence on Telegraph Avenue. Mm. Uh, on a Sunday, but those are the only times I left the campus. What led you to that, the paraplegic research or the development? Well, yeah, I thought it was an interesting sequence. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, it, again, like so many other things, it illustrates a variety of points. It, it's a sequence uh, in applied science, mechanical engineering. It shows a professor using an actual experience to uh, teach. It shows the graduate students running a research project. Uh, and uh, it suggests uh, uh, the nature, and in, in that young man's case, it was a motorcycle injury, but it could easily have been an IUV. Mm. And there's also a relationship with the commercial sector as and well. And also yeah. a relationship with the commercial sector. Which is interesting because that's one point that is may maybe the most, uh, where, where the subject uh, talking is, is the most clear about how this relates to the micro-macro structure, which is what is the value of a, a, like they're literally breaking down the value of a university degree, how much you should invest in it, whether it's going to pay off, which... Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, right. And it's a question of, for instance, their, their, their uh, efforts now in many state universities to apply a cost-benefit analysis mm. 
to the courses so that, um, you know, if there are only six people in the course, why offer the course? And if you don't need to offer the course, you don't need the teacher. Mm. If, only, if the teacher has two courses with only seven people in them, you know, maybe uh, cost-benefit analysis leads you to cancel a contract if you can get out of it. Mm. Uh, but there's also a political agenda connected with that because the mm. courses that generally suffer most under that kind of analysis are the courses in humanities. Mm. Uh, and so if you cut out the study of history and philosophy and political science, uh, you're, you're dumbing down the population mm. so that there's less, you're, you're creating a population of technocrats and, and not uh, uh, people who have been trained, who know anything about history, have been trained to think about social issues. And the flip side to and that. That's not happening at Berkeley, but it's, yeah. uh, and they're fighting against it at Berkeley, but I mean the fight at the University of Virginia, for example, where the president was forced to resign and then rehired, was precisely around that issue. Mm. And there's the, the flip side being that if you're taking a course that, that does have that more practical application that you have to then pay more for it because you're almost paying for a guarantee that you're going to get employment. So right. as a student to that, you could potentially say that you are suffering because you have to pay what a humanities student would not have to pay. Well, I mean, there, there was the whole uh, issue at Berkeley of, uh, you know, which comes up in that class mm. toward the beginning of the film, where they they charge more for the graduate schools, mm. where the people have a greater opportunity on graduation to get high-paying jobs. Mm. And, you know, there are a lot of issues around that. But Berkeley is not one of the universities that is applying the cost-benefit analysis yeah. to the maintenance of uh, teaching certain subjects. It's interesting that you place that, that scene discussing the graduate program so early in the film because as a viewer, when you're watching all the classroom sequences following that, you're, you're aware of this. You're aware of like, is this a, a class that's going to result in a degree that <laughs> pays off or is it not? Right. It, it's a, it's, you kind of, as a viewer, inhabit a, a bureaucratic role yourself and not just as like a, a surrogate student when you're in those right. classrooms. And I was intrigued by that. Well, that, that, the conversation in that class between the teacher and the students and the students with each other frames a lot of the issues mm. that come up later in the film. Mm. Are, you, are you looking to cue the viewer to be able to pick those up? Or is it, obviously you could put that scene at the end and make everyone think back to what they had previously seen. Do you think that that's a, a, a more effective structure to, to employ? Well, I guess so, because that's the way I did this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, what do you, what is the inst are you working on an institution one following this? What are, you, what are you currently working on? I'm working on a movie about an art museum. Mm. And and how is is it approaching completion or? Well, too I, I, early I'm to about say? a third of the way through the. Uh, how how can you tell while you're shooting when when you realize that you've attained enough material for this particular project? Like everything else, it's a subject of judgment. Yeah. It might be that if I've been away from home too long. <laughs> uh, have you ever have you ever thought that maybe you had uh, thought you had enough, and when you could have sh or should have maybe stayed a little longer? Well, a couple of times I've gone back after yeah. I edited a while for uh, the movies that became the about the movies about the school for the deaf and blind mm. in Talladega. Uh, I went down there originally with making the idea of making one movie about the whole place, but after I was there for a couple of days, I realized 
there were such big differences between the school for the deaf and the school for the blind and the, 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 the school for the multi-handicapped and the adult workshop that I really should make four films. So it was hard to keep four films in mind. So I went back, I shot for a while, six or seven weeks, went back, edited, and then went back for about 10 days to fill in the gaps that I found yeah. in the editing. And for the film, Law and Order film, after I edited for a while, I, I realized that I didn't have enough material in the station house, so I went back for work. Mm. Uh, now with that Berkeley, have you been in contact with them following its completion? Have you received any feedback from them? Yeah, they like the film. Oh, they really like it? Yeah, they like it. In fact, <clears throat> tonight there's a reception for Berkeley alumni mm. in the Toronto area. And I'm going to show excerpts of the film to them. And the Chancellor's wife is coming, and oh, some, wow. some other people from Berkeley. You know, they, they're very pleased with the film. And they, they feel and, that... And the Chancellor used to be the President of the University of Toronto. Oh, it does come up in the film. They mention right. it as like yeah. a, a, what do they call it, like a case study for, for one of the business models, I believe. I just have an ear that picks up the word Toronto. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's interesting that, do they feel that it like, does it, uh, are they happy with how it presents the particular yeah. issue that they're... Yeah. No, they're very pleased with it. Like, I'm going to show the film in Berkeley uh, at some point and uh, you know, I'll probably have more discussions with them after I show it there. And with the activists, hopefully. Hmm? With the activists as well, hopefully. Well, yeah, I mean, anybody, I mean it's going to just be open, a yeah. couple open screenings at Berkeley at some yeah. point. Well, I'd expect an open screening at Berkeley. Hmm? I'd expect it to be an open screening. Yeah, no, I mean there. open in the sense that it will be for the students. Yeah, in fact, yeah, anybody, yeah. anybody wants to see it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Okay, thank you.